Like now? Now, now? Did you take your PEDs? <laughs> Two hours Welcome ago. Welcome to Go Additive, where your hosts combine their real-world professional 3D printing experience to deliver valuable opinions that will help you peer behind the curtain of the additive industry. And now, Go Engineer's own Tyler Reed and Tate Brown. How are we doing this morning? I'm doing great. How are you? That felt fake. Whoa. That felt so fake. Do you feel like it really felt fake or you know it's fake? I know it's I fake. I'm looking right at you right now. Because I have reasons not to feel great. Did you get a haircut? Like a few days ago. Oh. Yeah. Your head looks smaller. Well, it's because I have a hat on. I think it's Actually, yeah, I, look, I'm just kidding. Take a look at me right now and tell me if I don't look like a summer salesperson. Oh, absolutely. Before you even stand up, he's standing right now. He's spinning around. Yes. This typical attire of a summer salesman, little polo. He's got a gray polo unbuttoned a at port, the top. A, a port authority polo. You yeah. Know, like the cheapest catalog polo. And then a fitted hat. It's It's got some like uh, mesh. Yeah. So it looks more athletic but it's got yeah. the go engineer logo all embroidered my, into it my shirt's branded i'm repping exact metal this morning he, and the tennis shoes tennis last shoes. of the, the i'm all must prepped. haves i'm all prepped for summer sales go knock some doors man do you think i would be successful in summer sales having you you've done so. it you as a successful yeah. summer salesman i think i i some people you think are going to be money yeah. And they're not. And then some people you you just don't expect and they absolutely smoke it. I would expect you to come. I would expect good things from you. I think you could do it. You're mentally tough. <laughs> <laughs> I think I would kill it when I showed up. That's kind of how I was. Yeah. It's like I could handle the no's and stuff. And I, and I definitely felt like I got fewer no's than other reps in my offices, but it was hard to go to work, you know, cause uh-huh. nobody's setting your hours. So I'd go to work at like 6 PM and grind hard for a couple hours, get a few sales and go to the go-kart track. That's all surprising <laughs> to me. I would have never guessed any of that. Oh gosh. <laughs> Rude. But, Rude. but the facts are the work got done. All right. So that's true. Here we are an hour later than we were supposed to record and it's my fault. And but we're getting the work done. All right. Now that that's behind us. <laughs> <laughs> I have to say something. Okay. I have to gloat. Uh-oh. Okay. After that sad part. Yeah. One of my... You deserve it. My downsides. Last night, last softball game of the season, go oh. engineer. We lost the game. I, I, should, I should preface the story with that. We lost the game, ultimately. But a superb individual Be- performance. You did. From me. You're actually a pretty good player. Slow pitch softball, everyone. Uh-huh. And I struck out. I was the pitcher. I had two strikeouts last night. Oh, nice. Night. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. yeah. Didn't quite pitch a no-hitter, but legit, I felt like for the first time ever, I had some control over making these guys swing. And I struck two people out in slow pitch softball. That's awesome. Yeah. It that, felt good. That's impressive. 
You actually are a good softball player. I'll give you that. And I'm B league softball player. Throw me in the A league. Our, our I don't team, know. our team is not good at all. <laughs> you know, um, but I've played for several years. Several years, and this year I only was able to play two games. Just those hips, dude. Bad that hips. hip dysplasia. Yeah. The old Labrador curse getting you. I think I need to go see a veterinarian. <laughs> um, and I, you probably think I'm a horrible softball player, and currently I am. I just think but you're, you're old and been. busted. Oh, man. It actually, I was thinking about this the other day, and it made me so sad. So sad. What, that you're old and busted? Yeah. I think about it all the time. Last week in softball, I pulled two hamstrings. Oh my God. They were minor. I wasn't even going to play last night. Yeah. In fact, after the game last week, I told our uh, coach slash player that (laughs) I wasn't going to be there. Right. But last game of the season had to show up. And one last thing. What's that? Wind was blowing into our faces Uh as a batter. The old tater bug cranked a homer. Nice. Yep. Yep. You are a good hitter, Put one over too. the fence. This year, my hitting was horrible. Horrible. Two years ago was my prime season. Yeah? Two years ago. That was it? Yeah. Right before I showed up? Yeah. It was my prime season. Ask anybody. That was the last of your your good hips and <laughs> everything else was working? I know. I'm, I'm on that rehab train trying to f- fix my body. Well, you got to do something different than what you have been because it ain't working. Every, we're trying to put this building together, and every day we have to do something. I just look at Tyler, and I'm like, I can't even <laughs> help him because the poor guy is just limping around everywhere. We we actually did make some progress on yeah. our podcast recording studio. Are yep. we allowed to call it that? It's not exclusively for us, but this is our studio, and we're putting we, the most work into it. We have done absolutely the most work in this room, like actual work on the room itself and work inside the room. So I feel some sense of ownership over it. Absolutely. Yeah. Let's hope that theme carries through to other people. Yeah. I think our group is primed to take most advantage of it. I hope so. So that out of the way, the fact that I'm a great hitter in <clears throat> softball and can hit a home run into the wind. Uh-huh. And you know, strike people out and make excellent defensive plays, et cetera, et cetera. And I'm (laughs) inferior in in every way. (laughs) No, that (laughs) now that that's out of the way, you have a lot of talking to do today because there's a ton of news. I am aware of some of it and you know the details on it. So So tell us what's up. A little change of pace here. Usually you take all the notes and you come with the talking points, but I did it today. So it will mostly be a news day, and we're just going to see where each topic takes us. Mm -hmm. I want to start with something that we've touched on before, but now it's happened, and that is Mark Forge, the IPO happened this week. Yesterday, yesterday. Yesterday. Yeah, so we are recording this on Friday. And uh, this is where the they had the SPAC merger, merger finalize. So the ticker previously was A1. Now it's MKFG. And the Mark Forge team was at Wall Street yesterday, and they hit the opening bell. And I think they hit the closing bell, too. 
Did you take a look at their performance yesterday? I didn't. It's probably not what you would want on day one. It was not super bad, but it was in the red. Okay. That's disappointing. Not a great opening day. Well, just look at what uh, in a company that we're going to talk about later. Like, Look at what DM has been able to do by having a successful public offering. Right? They're, huh? Desktop Metal, a successful public offering, meaning they had good valuation, the stock rose considerably. It's dropped 40% so far this year. But with that capital, they've been able to go on I a see. spree of acquisitions. Yes, okay. And fundamentally change their trajectory in the industry. Like two years ago. Changing their trajectory. Changing, but I think they turned turned around because two years ago, um, the future of DM, my opinion of it anyway, would, is very, would, would have been very different than it is today. I actually think they're on an upwards trajectory through simply just brute force. But we'll talk more about some of the some of the news that they have. What do you think about um, Mark Forge? Like you have more hands-on experience with the Mark yeah. Forge product line than I do. I would say I was gonna just pop this in anyway. Pretty good printer. Mm-hmm. Pretty good printer. Like when we go out and we visit with customers that are utilizing our machines with a mix of others, if there's a Mark Forged in there somewhere. It's typically liked by people that work with it. Yeah. Um, loved may be a strong word, but that may be a sh too strong of a word for most 3D printers. True. Um, but it's a great, I think they offer a good product. I think they offer a good product. Uh, they kind of have the same situation as Stratasys where it's closed uh, filament. Yep. So you've got to buy your materials from them, which a lot of people don't like. Limited selection. Yeah, but they're good. They're yeah. good. And yeah. when people put like their carbon fiber products head to head with ours, they typically like ours better in terms of functionality. But in terms of appearance, theirs are awesome. They're going to take five times as long to print. Yeah. But they look superb. I think that's always been the trade-off or my perception of the trade-off is Mark Forge system um, compared to a Stratasys system the cost is going to be a little bit lower, but uh, at the expense of print speed and support capabilities. Yep. Yeah. Support removal is a big deal that a lot of people don't take into consideration. And we talk about this all the time. Yeah. But it's a big deal. So they have released a teaser video about a, a machine that they're going to uh, unveil at Formnext. Form next is love me a good teaser video of a what do they do? Put it under a blanket, <laughs> look like a refrigerator under a blanket like or something. They have the machine in shadows, you know, oh, and boy. it sort of has like a strange silhouettes of yeah. Oh my god, LEDs and a Stranger Things type vibe. Oh, all right, it's kind of a cool a little, little retro vibe. Yeah, fifteen second video, and uh, from what I've read, where'd you find that video? Um, all over the place. On the interwebs. <laughs> if you search Mark Forged FX20, the FX20 is supposedly the name of this system. And from what I've heard, my guess is that 
it's a little bit larger build envelope machine that expands into some higher temperature materials while carrying over their composite capabilities, which without a doubt, I think is Mark Forge is the leader in composite printing right now with their continuous fiber along with their chop fiber. The fact that they do offer both is you can't deny that that's beyond what anyone else is, is offering, which we've had a conversation about this more in depth, right? Yeah. In the past. What was the name of that episode? Carbon fiber. I think it was just car something carbon fiber. Yeah. It's in, it's You'll in the find title. it. Yeah. By the way, did you see the title of last week's episode? I actually read the and laughed. <laughs> I read the little summary and I was just like, I was dying. And Tate gives us a YouTube channel that literally already <laughs> everyone knows. All right. Yeah, I read it. Yeah. <laughs> I wasn't sure. I had a hard time coming up with the title for that episode. You did good. I think it it worked. It's not going to get people to listen, but whatever. <laughs> I think it it's a little provocative. Okay. A little bit. Yeah, so the FX20, we'll know more at Form Next. Form Next, if you're not aware of it, it's a show that I believe it's 3D printing focused. Certainly a lot of 3D printing OEMs are there. And it's overseas for us. And I promise you that the FX20 will not be the only machine unveiled that would be of interest to our listeners. That's a good promise. I promise you. Cool. So we got more to look forward to. <laughs> yeah, that's later this fall. So let's see. Next bit of news that I wanted to talk about was the Department of Defense Inspector General performed a cybersecurity audit and uh, revealed some findings that were specifically targeted towards additive manufacturing printers or machines. Have, did you hear much about this? A little bit. A little bit, which this has been a topic kind of. I'm excited that this is making the mainstream news. It's going to make our job harder. Yeah. I was going to say, why are you excited about this? <laughs> yeah. But luckily, we're not the ones trying to do the fixing. Yeah. it's. Um, we'll talk about the details in a second, but we we learned this week that we, we, had, we suspected that sales to the government for additive manufacturing over the past year were up, um, especially because the government... Um, a lot of, you could say red tape associated with spending, government spending was, it's so weird. It's very difficult. I can't, I, I'm sure there's things I can't say, but the way government spending works, just the whole procurement process. It's the worst process. thing ever. Yeah. It's so inefficient in so many ways. There's waste everywhere so this past year we saw some like releasing of the reins a bit on on that like they were encouraging government spending but still it's, it's use it or lose it it's use it or lose it and also it's planned so far in advance it's actually very it's impossible for them to have the most cutting-edge technology especially above a certain price point if it's below a certain price point then it's much easier. Yeah. And to their credit, government, um, the government agencies and, and, uh, the armed services, uh, and the people that we deal with, 
they do use some of their budget to purchase like more exploratory and bleeding edge technology when it's available, which someone has to dive in and, and do it. Yeah. But on the other side, on the other side of the table, it's like they've always been lagging with the private sector on additive manufacturing. They just they can't spend their money as quickly as they would want to. Like the individuals that we deal with are like eternally frustrated about it. And if they're not, then they've just been doing it for so long that it's just normal to them. Yeah. But to you and I, it's like you have to plan this how far out ahead and you have to have how many bids and et cetera. Or even like putting something up for bid, you can't go out and say, I want this exact machine. You have to say, I want a machine that does this, 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 this. And if you do want a specific machine, you have to be so specific in your wants that there is only one viable option. Yeah. Did I explain that very yeah, well? Yeah, I got it. All right, so anyway. This, I have a brain. <laughs> Tate has a brain. <laughs> this cybersecurity audit, the findings found that there were some vulnerabilities in the 3D printing uh, initiatives. We, we teased that for a long time. Yeah, we did, didn't, didn't we? we? Uh-huh. <laughs> we, may have, we may have never come back to it. Um, there, there are some vulnerabilities, and they're sort of rooted in the fact that the, these groups, the AM leads and the operators, were treating the printers as quote-unquote tools versus information technology systems. So instead of seeing them as computers and treating them with the appropriate security procedures established by the DOD for IT systems, they were treating them as tools which have a little bit more lax um, procedures. So specifically, there were concerns from the IG report about the integrity of the build files. Yeah, this is interesting to me because I thought when I heard about this, it was going to go another way, another uh -huh. direction. Yeah. You know, something more with onboard storage of old parts or past jobs and IP, et cetera, being available to someone who maybe goes in and steals some of the hardware. Mm -hmm. This is totally different. It's totally different. The specific concern is more along the lines of what we saw with Stuxnet. Are you familiar with Stuxnet? <laughs> no. <laughs> S-T-U-X-N-E-T. Got it. So Stuxnet virus. It's a malicious computer worm first uncovered in 2010 and thought to have been in development since at least 2005. Yeah. So the story of Stuxnet is pretty cool. And you may have heard the story without remembering this specific name of it. It's responsible for causing substantial damage to the nuclear program of Iran. Yeah. It was, it's widely recognized as the first like cyber warfare attack. I bet there's a documentary somewhere about this. There probably is. So the, the longer story, and I think this is an interesting story. The longer story is Iran had a nuclear program where they were in trying to enrich uranium and it had started in the 80s but really like 
2003 is when they really started ramping it up. And they were able to do it openly because of some agreements and negotiations that were made back in the 80s. They weren't very complete. And so um, you had a new leader in like 2003 that came in and revamped it and they could do it all out in the open. But of course, certain nations didn't want to see Iran become nuclear capable. So they started trying to sabotage this, the, uh, the enrichment, the program, without getting caught. So they did it a couple different ways. One is that they made their life very difficult by this, by injecting like bogus parts into the supply chain. So when Iran's scientists would buy equipment to build centrifuges and these other pieces of equipment, they were getting bad parts because the CIA was like actively sabotaging the supply chain. And so other nations where their equipment would last 10 years, Iran's equipment was like failing constantly and they couldn't figure it out. So they started designing their own equipment and they went from like more analog equipment over to digital equipment. And this digital equipment was working. And well, it they, it was going to work. Like it was going to work. But this Stuxnet virus, apparently like the day of, or pretty immediately once Iran's new digital equipment, centrifuges came online, they were infected like pretty much immediately, which tells you like someone on the other side was watching their progress and just waiting and coming up with ways to sabotage their equipment without them knowing so that you could be like trying to make something work and butting your head against the wall because it's not working. And it's not like it just, the worm and the virus, like it didn't just infect the equipment and destroy itself. It didn't cause the equipment to destroy itself. It caused its equipment to be to work in a way that was not going to produce good results, but in a very difficult to um, detect detect way. Yeah. So it all had to do with these centrifuges that are, you think of a centrifuge like, um, probably like I do. Like, what's that test that astronauts do? Yeah. The G-force the test. The G-force test, yeah. yeah. That's how I pictured centrifuge. But these, these centrifuges used in these nuclear I was thinking enrichment. more like the little the spinny things they use in the lab. Yeah, like a lab centrifuge. To separate, yeah. Imagine a system that looks like a cylinder and then there's like a whole array of these things and they all work together. And they're all spinning at like 60 plus thousand RPM and they have to do that consistently for years on end. Whoa. And so all you have to do is change the RPM a little bit and it affects the pressures and it throws everything out of whack. So the U.S. government developed Stuxnet, got, got infected. It actually came in through, I think, a laptop. Like this, this stuff was air-gapped. And DOD printers are air-gapped, right? Like they're not connected to the internet in any way. So anyway, long story short, the, the, the inspector general basically came out and said, hey, our 3D print build files would be susceptible to a similar type of attack where a bad actor could come in and alter the build file, the build instructions 
in a way that's undetectable or would go unnoticed by the user. So building in part defects and things like that. That's pretty serious. Yeah. So what do we got to do? So there were like three recommendations and I don't remember them word for word, but there, one recommendation was they had to treat the printers instead of as tools, as information technology systems. So that was a specific directive and that has some associated, um, requirements, different procedures. Uh, they have to develop and maintain a single source or a single way to catalog parts, which would protect, hopefully protect against what you were talking about as well, just pure theft of designs, which you, obviously you wouldn't want either. A way to catalog parts. Um, it's going to require a authority to operate. Every printer will require an authority to operate. It's called an ATO. And I don't know all of the details. I'm definitely ignorant about that because I'm not in the military. But basically, every single printer will require a little bit more red tape to be put into use. There was another one that I, another requirement that honestly, I don't quite understand or I, I don't know how well it will be adhered. And it has some verbiage that allows for um, someone to justify not happening. But the IG said that all of the printers have to be running Windows 10 operating system. Yeah, your eyes, your, your eyebrows just lifted there. Most of these printers are not running Windows operating systems. Seems a little strange. Yeah, it's because they have probably established procedures for securing that operating system. So it's just easier for them. Perhaps, but most manufacturing equipment is not running Windows. It's running Linux or some custom OS built off Linux. Mm -hmm. I would say that's the most popular. Um, or just straight up like PLC programming, Windows, Windows 10. So I don't know, but there was, there was a, an option there where you could, you could request permission to not run that, which may make it toothless. Well, I'll tell you what, right here, right now, I was right. There is a documentary okay. already out. Have you been waiting? This whole time I've been talking, Patiently. you've just been waiting. I know somebody out there is wanting it. I'm going to give it to you. Or someone that's listening is thinking, there is. It's called Zero Days. Zero Days. I can't okay. take any credit for how good or bad this movie is. That's the It's got a 7.8. IMDb rating. Is it specifically That's good enough for about me to watch? Yeah. It says here a document a documentary focused on Stuxnet. Okay. But of course it's probably a little bit uh dramatized. But there you go. I may give cool. it a watch later. I think you should. It's a pretty interesting topic and it makes you realize that like it's security is important and especially in a world where we still operate as nation states and compete against each other, you do always have to watch your back and be, be on the defense, right? Because there, you, even if this specifically was, I would say related to war, like the ultimate goal of Iran was to have nuclear warheads, right? But 
if we just step back, step away from that. And if you could come in and sabotage a company's manufacturing or anything like that and hurt them economically, then you could rise up. So economic warfare is def- is a real thing for sure. And uh, I mean, most, I would say most of our users are not going to be targets for something like that, but we have customers <laughs> that are developing products that if sabotage could cause death, if sabotage could result in tens of or hundreds of millions of dollars in losses and like all sorts of things, billions of dollars in losses. So it's pretty wild. And especially with this rise of ransomware attacks, I don't know, it's just a crazy topic to me. Can we talk about parts being sabotaged and causing death? Okay. Like our trolley. <laughs> oh my hangers. god. Oh my god. <laughs> He doesn't want to talk about it. We can talk about it. We've got this, uh, have we talked about this yet? This light system that we have in our studio that we are basically building from the ground up. Yeah, we're just building a light grid from scratch. So something that would, in this media room, it would hang video lights, microphones, stuff like that from the ceiling. Yeah, and you can slide it back and forth the length of the room. Yeah, like a gantry system. Exactly. Tyler wanted to 3D print the trolleys. Yep. And still wants to. But. But we talked about it. We won't. We won't. But yeah, I do want to. Because my. Intuition. Intuition is that it would be perfectly safe. No. (laughs) So see, when we're talking about all these other things, safety is important to you. But when we're talking about it for our own uses, all that goes out the window. All we have to do is require, if you're going to be in the media room, wear a hard hat. It's not that big of a deal. (laughs) We'll just change the whole motif of our videos. As soon as we start doing these live and we're wearing hard hats in this room. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. The weight that we're hanging from this is so minimal. And, you know, you may have forgotten, but we have this nice material called Ultim. And we have this nice material come next week called M300 tool steel. Yeah, we'll see. But we'll probably just end up machining them out of aluminum. And so we'll, we're doing the install next week. Yeah. The on the exact metal system. Yeah. Should I'm we excited. Talk anything, give an update on our floor situation? Um, just so people know that we're not totally dragging butt. Oh, the floor, I think we should be able to put machines on the floor today it's just no one that does flooring the flooring for our office is going to hear this podcast that's true so we can talk some mad poop the flooring is a mess but i think the biggest takeaway is if you're going to use epoxy on a floor use the fleck use the fleck it hides it imperfections and it makes everything look so much nicer yeah the first job no fleck yeah we had it redone with fleck yeah Looks a lot better. We don't know how performance-wise what's going to happen. There's underlying issues, um, but uh, yeah, it'll be fine. So what else you got for us? We have two more acquisitions by Desktop Metal. Two more. Your focus on Desktop Metal. I just love it, dude. All I could think about 
is there's this phrase of like, why are you so obsessed with me? Yeah. Have you heard that? Is that like a Taylor Swift song? I don't know. It could, it sounds like it could be. Why are you so obsessed with me? And that's what I asked myself. Why am I so obsessed with desktop metal? The, the issue is that they're just, they're the most newsworthy. Uh, we give them free OEM. press we totally all the time. Do. Now, I guess all press is good press. Yeah. So I knew exactly where you were going with that. <laughs> you were going to first no, no, say no. No, 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 no. no, no okay. No, no, no. no, no, no. So two acquisitions. The first one and the one that actually made the news was Aerosynth. Had you heard of Aerosynth? No. They're a pretty small company. Uh, they actually don't create a full additive solution. They produce and sell a dual material print head that is retrofitted onto a machine that's made by a different company, Econity. So Aerosynth developed the technology, the ability to one, deposit two different metal powders onto a standard laser powder bed fusion bed, and then also the process parameters to center those two materials in within the same layer. Wow. So, so it is a laser powder bed fusion printhead. So very similar to the exact metal system that we'll be using. Um, next week, but it's more of like a, the exact metal system is a, is a, the basic type of recoder where it's just snowplow recoder. It, we have a mound of powder and we push it and spread it. This is more like a print head where it's depositing powder. So this would be closer to like a velo type print head, but instead of just one material, it's two materials. Hmm. This is blowing my mind. Yeah. I'm looking at the website right now. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. And it's metal. They only have actually two materials, so one material combination. You think this technology could be applied to, to plastics? They say it could, but like a lot of things in printing, they say one thing, and um, there's no product that does it yet, so it's hard to say, but... When you read news about it, they say it is compatible with polymers, metals, and ceramics. But this is the best pickup they've made. I'm just saying that you right think now. So? Outright, yeah, this is the best. So, what do you think they're going to do with it? They better use this on their standard desktop metal systems, like their existing binder jetting systems, because that's what has me wondering. They need to just change the whole product line to have this. <laughs> Technology. So this is a, a specifically a laser powder bed fusion IP. Um, laying down the powder and sintering the dual materials together. Desktop Metal doesn't have a laser powder bed fusion machine in their current portfolio. So the question is, do they introduce a laser powder bed fusion system, which we had heard that they were at least at one point in talks with acquiring SLM, so that would do it. Or do they, maybe they develop their own or make a different acquisition. To watch them buy exact metal. <laughs> um, or do you they, laugh? 
uncomfortable laugh. Yeah, I know. Like maybe. Or Econity, you, this Econity machine looks interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't spend too much time looking at it. I, I wasn't familiar with it. Looks good. Looks like a toolbox. Yeah, it does look like a toolbox, huh? Mm-hmm. Um, or do they take this dual material print head and put it on a binder jetting system? The problem with this, with the binder jetting, is that the parts go into a bulk sintering process. And that bulk sintering process is already super, super challenging for a single material. And mm -hmm. so how do you bulk center a dual material part? That, I don't know. So I don't really know where DM's gonna go with this. From what I read, um, Aerosynth is going to continue to operate as they currently are just as an independent subsidiary, but DM will be integrating their technology sometime in the next two years is what I read. Interesting. It's interesting, isn't it? That's a good pickup. A lot of people ask about dual material metals. I haven't run into it yet, but you've been in more of those conversations. Yeah. I think a lot of people ask just because they have curiosity. I'm not sure if how many people have specific applications. I'm sure there's endless applications. So you had one more thing, didn't you? Well, they had another acquisition. It was a company called Beacon Bio. And Beacon Bio was Love a, it. Love yeah. the sound of it. It is a bioprinting company that developed an application, a, a specific application, application, and that is artificial eardrum printing. Hmm. So the story behind this company is that a Harvard student wow. in the wake of the Boston bombing started working on uh, some technology to repair eardrums that was a common, uh, probably the most common inj injury from that bombing was eardrum perforation. And that's, that's a common uh, injury just for other spaces as well. So they started working on this and they developed a material that was capable of printing and they actually they actually were using um, EnvisionTech's bioplotter with this material called phonograph. Will all be. All be. Mm -hmm. Everything, everything's coming together. Their website's cool. I actually haven't it's been to it. It's very cool. Is it? This is the only one I've ever seen have this particular feature, just the scrolling feature. You've got to check it out. Beacon.bio. Okay. It's All actually right. pretty cool. So, uh, yeah, that's another play into the healthcare industry. Stratasys is also pushing hard into healthcare. I think over the next 10 years, healthcare industry, like healthcare technology is going to be a huge, huge market. Yeah. In general and specifically in additive. Absolutely. A lot of efforts there. So that's all the info I had. Um, I think there were some interesting things happening over the last two weeks. Yeah, that's a lot of news. That's good news. Things are moving. Things, things are, are cooking. Let's, let's do YouTube of the day. All right. <laughs> let's start with you. My pick for YouTube channel of the day. I've got two, but I'm just going to do one okay. today. I'll save the other for later. 
B is for build. B is for build. It's a car. No, I'm actually not familiar with this. Oh, wow. One that <laughs> not everybody knows. B is for build. It's it's pretty fun. I'm not a huge fan of the way the guy talks and explains his everything, basically. Yeah. He says this and that and this and that and there. Like, that. those are the only three words he says, this, that, and there. And it drives me crazy, but his builds are fun. So they built a Lamborghini and they're making it into, they're calling it a Jumpacon. A Jumpacon? It's a Lamborghini Huracan. Okay. So it's the Jumpacon and they're going to, their plan is to race this in the Mint 400 in December. What? And they just finished their first test drive of it. They broke it. And I think it's... It's an engineering mistake why it broke. So uh-huh. watch the latest episode, see what you think. This sounds amazing. They actually they so they they had some people help with the build. It's an all aluminum chassis. They had this guy who does engineering and design work design a fully uh, steel sheet metal kind of add-on chassis with all the A-arms and everything to go onto it. And so it's kind of all bolt-on because obviously you can't weld the steel to the aluminum. Cool channel. I like it. It's fun. If you can get past his three-minute advertisement in the first couple seconds of every video and then his this, that, and their descriptions, he doesn't use big, bigger words. Yeah. It's just like, yeah, we're going to take this and we're going to put it over here. (laughs) And we're going to put this over here and that on this. That's how he describes you don't, you don't everything. Like that. Oh, it drives me crazy. Can't he just say, like, we're going to lower the A-arm two inches. Instead, he just points at this thing. Yeah. Says, we're going to move that over there. And he just points his finger everywhere. It drives me crazy. I am going. But a good channel. I still I'm, suggest it. I'm having a hard time. I have no idea what to. I'm envisioning tons of different ways that you could do this. But. The Mint 400 typically is done by trophy trucks, right? Yeah, it's the, and technically he's in the unlimited class with this car. So he's going against Bryce Menzies, the Red Bull team, like the biggest and best. And the Mint 400 is America's great off-road race. How much of the Lamborghini is actually going to be? I don't think the thing finishes. Oh, the Lamborghini, the full body and chassis is pretty much there. Uh, they're using an LS platform, so the engine's gone, the management system's gone. Like it's all so it's not like it's American. It's not like the V twelve for sure. Well, then that's not a Lamborghini. Just go watch it. See what you think. Oh, okay. I am it, gonna watch it. That does sound interesting. So I have what caught my attention this week was this fractal vice. Have you seen this? <laughs> No. So there's a, a fractal vice. It's actually awesome. So there was a channel called Hand Tool Rescue that refurbishes old tools, which I like. And about three weeks ago, he did an episode on an old, like turn of the century fractal vice. And the fractal vice has four moving jaws yes. that look like fractals. And they interact with what each other. What does a fractal look like? Explain that to our listeners, please. Dude, there's in a million, words. There's a million ways that a, a fractal could look like. 
But are you just trying to get out of explaining it? I dude, there's no way. To me, it 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 looks like a swirling lightning bolt. Um, no. <laughs> you're gonna have to look this one up, people. I hope you're near a computer. So the fractal vice has four moving jaws that will rotate and grip objects of any shape. And the reason why I this has been on my uh, radar the past couple of weeks is that you've started to see some 3D printed versions of this, mm -hmm. which is cool because it's an old style tool. No one produces them any longer. It has these fractal jaws. Is there a reason for that? I don't know. These fractal jaws would be difficult to produce with your standard milling machines and everything like that. You pretty much need, I mean, today you'd probably make it with a wire EDM, but you can 3D print these shapes. And so suddenly people are popping up with these designs or these, for these, at least they're plastic or polymer vices. And I don't know, that's something that maybe I would try to create. It sounds cool. So what's the channel? Well, the channel is Hand Tool Rescue. And then just search on YouTube, 3D printed fractal vice and that you'll get a couple. But I didn't want to give credit to these these other channels. I wanted to give credit to the person who kind of brought it to the forefront. So the most popular person you're trying to make more popular? Well, he deserves the credit for sure. He, he's the one that uncovered the tool. Who are we to say? Me. <laughs> he definitely deserves the credit. Okay. Whatever you say. He deserves I, the credit according to Tyler Reed <laughs> and not Dude, associates. One thing I love about the 3D printing niche on YouTube is that they're so reactive. Like something can come to the forefront of news and someone can turn around and spin up a printed version of that pretty quickly. Yeah. Which I think is cool. Me too. All right. I think that's it. YouTube Minute. YouTube Minute. And that's a wrap for the episode. Cool. Thanks for listening. Yep. And uh, catch you next week. Adios.